This is The Playbook. Welcome to Money Talks. This is David Meltzer. I am so excited to be here with our first guest, Jason Kuntz with OTIA, One Team International Agency, and one of the best professional poker players in the world. Welcome to Money Talks, Jason. David, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, man. You know, you have uh, ventured into so many different things, but the two things that I want to talk about because money is such a prominent issue is one, collectibles, and two, playing poker. And for some reason, so many people that are in the collectible business, whether it be gold, silver, coins, stamps, cards, NFTs, whatever it may be, they seem also to be poker players. What is the commonality between either strategy or timing of playing poker and collectibles? So I, th- I think there's a couple different things we could talk about. One, I mean, there's obviously the, the in business, obviously you want to make money, but there's also the feeling of, of winning in a deal. So I think that kind of cross references into poker. Everybody wants to win, but you know, some people hit a certain level in poker where they don't need the money anymore, but they still enjoy the rush of winning. And there's the, the, the reading people, which, which plays back into business. Like when you're negotiating a deal, a lot of that comes down into your, your reading of the situation um, and, and we're in poker, you know, you're reading other players and stuff. So, um, the challenges in business, the challenge it's, there's so many similarities that overlap, um, that, you know, and obviously in, in business too, like you can be doing $20 deals in poker. You can be playing $20 poker games in business. You can be doing, you know, billion dollar deals in poker. You can quite not that high, but you can be playing, you know, extremely high stakes where you're winning, losing millions of dollars and, you know, in, the, in some of the higher games. And you started at a really early age, uh, which allows for the aggregate effect or a learning curve that allows you to have greater awareness to, you know, what is a collectible and what is its lifespan or the timing and risk tolerance involved in that collectible. Uh, You started, like a lot of people, with trading cards. And, you know, at a very young age, what were some of the things that you learned that have helped you, not just in the collectibles business, but in life in general of understanding kind of timing and risk tolerance of certain cards comparatively to other cards? I got really lucky because I started this like everybody else when they were young, you know, everybody's buying and trading when they're 10 years old. And, um, you know, I, I grew up with not a lot of money, I was a single mom. So I kind of saw that drive in her and, and it just motivated me from a very young age to try to become financially independent. And, you know, by the time I was 13, 14, a lot of my other friends ventured off into whatever, you know, kids do. And I just, I kind of hit the perfect storm of having this, this fire. And then, you know, at the same time, it's 95, the internet comes along, um, authenticating sports cards comes along. So I was in that early stages of when, you know, grading became along when, when, you know, authenticating and, and stuff before that, it was just the wild, wild west. So um, I was basically in it from the beginning at a very young age, and I just bought into the system right away. And now to, to give you an example, and I'm not sure, you know, how much the audience knows, but, um, you know, one of the largest grading companies is, is PSA. And, and when I was starting off, they would actually go around and offer free services and, and try to convince people why they should authenticate their, their sports cards or memorabilia. And, and fast forward 20 some years. If you want to do that, it, it could be up to a, a two-year wait on some stuff. 
Like that's how, how far we've evolved from the companies trying to get your business to having to wait, you know, months or even years to get items back. So it, it's to watch it evolve over my entire life. Is, it's been pretty, pretty wild. Which is so interesting to me because the demand must be so great. The community of collectors must be so large that even with the advance in technology, uh, as we continue to see uh, different artificial intelligences that are able to authenticate things uh, at a much quicker and more accurate pace, um, yet still there is so much demand to get things authenticated that we have a two-year wait on, on a lot of different things. Do you see in the next couple of years, though, that technology will reduce that time? Uh, and have you seen any technologies in particular that you feel uh, you know, are worthy uh, as much as someone who uh, have a certain criteria in, in human review comparatively? Yeah, so, so everybody kind of started three or four years ago um, working on some of this stuff. And, and I haven't seen anything yet that is there, but there's some, there's stuff getting better. Like it, it, there's stuff that's going to help, but I, I think the human is, is always going to be involved because there's so many judgment calls and, and stuff that, you know, maybe in 10 or 15 years, you know, AI is just going to completely dominate and I'll, I'll be wrong. But for, for some reason, I just, I think that a human is always going to kind of be there because like I said, there's a lot of judgment calls and, and there's just some stuff that, um, you know, the computers are just aren't going to know, but they're right now, as we're talking, I can think of eight or nine companies that are um, trying to get into this AI authenticating grading space and, and, and just data. Um, you know, the, the hobby in the last couple of years is, is literally 30 X in the amount of people that have come in. So there's a lot more wall street money that have come in and, and, and this is a real asset class now, you know, when 20 years ago, I always like to tell people that, when people ask me what I did for a living, it was almost kind of embarrassing to say, um, I buy and sell baseball cards. I do autographs. And, and, and now all these younger kids, like, I don't want to say they look up to me, but they think it's super cool. So now when people say, what do you do? It's kind of exciting to say it. And, and, and it allows some amazing conversations and everybody, you know, wants to hear all these stories, but it, it wasn't always like that. And to live through these waves over the past 25 years has been pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, 20 some years ago, they came out with the movie Revenge of the Nerds, and now we're, we're all living it, and it's so great, you know, they're uh, buying superhero capes for entrepreneurs and collectors and all types of odd uh, different professions, not just the NFL so superstars anymore are looked up to or want quick pictures or autographs. Um, to that end, though, I think there's two components in collectibles still today. One is the emotional aspect, and a lot of great collectors have this emotional intelligence uh, because people buy collectibles on emotion for logical reasons. But then there's this new pragmatic institutional side where you know people buy because there's a limited amount uh, and they have now data knowing that there has only been this many cards printed. These are the people that hold it. You know, therefore, I'm going to suck up as many uh, you know, A-Rod cards as possible from 19, whatever it is. And, you know, there are still two schools and you can make money in both of those schools. How do you see the balance from the emotional intelligence side to the actual business data-driven collectible side? So I'm guilty of both. 
Um, you know, <laughs> all I, collectors I, are right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like to look at everything as an investment, but I, I get emotional overpay for some stuff sometimes too, uh, which sometimes has actually turned out to be some of my highest ROIs. That just impulse that I, for, for example, for me, like I'm massive in trading cards and autographs and 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 all that kind of stuff. But recently, uh, sealed video games have taken a major rush, and. You know, and, and some of them are, I, I know I've sold for millions of dollars, which, you know, as a kid, I grew up as a big Nintendo fan. So, so I'm making some crazy, maybe not rational decisions, buying, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on sealed video games, not because I think they're going to go up, even though I hope they do. But I, 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 to me, it's like every kid ripped those open within two seconds of being in the car. So I definitely think there's a major rarity to there. But it, it just brings me joy. Like, I, I, it reminds me of my childhood. So that kind of keeps my sanity. And some of those I've done really well off. Um, so that's when I've kind of veered off into my craziness. But, yeah, I, as far as, as, as sports cards and memorabilia, I, I try to look at it as, you know, let's make the best investment choice. Let's run the numbers. Let's, let's see what the, where the true rarity lies. And, 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 and it's almost like stocks and, and real estate. Buy the best of the best. And you, and you just need to sit on it. Like, you know, there is a, there is a, there is a game of, of buying in quick flips and, you know, you can do really well in that. You can get burned in that. Um, but what I've seen generally is when you buy the best of the best and you hold it for five or 10 years, um, just like any other high end asset class, you're, you're going to probably do well. Is there anything that you buy that are for your children or grandchildren that you don't even care or wouldn't sell in your lifetime, but know that, uh, it'll be extremely valuable asset uh, or a legacy even for you to leave. Are there things that you buy that are beyond your life? All the time. Um, so my, my, I have four kids, you know, seven, five, four, and two. And they're uh, my seven, five, and four-year-old are actually starting to really get into it. So, um, you know, my son's into comics. I just bought him a Hulk number one comic for, I don't know, like $100,000. <laughs> Hopefully, like, that'll pay for his college and, and, and unless he wants to keep it. But I mean, my ultimate goal is really um, the same way you would hand over a, a real estate portfolio or a stock portfolio is, you know, we would sell stuff as needed. Um, but the ultimate goal would just to be able to pass over, educate them and just pass over the entire sports portfolio, you know, hoping they don't go to a pawn shop when I, you know, when I die and, and sell everything for, you know, a thousand bucks. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not really, I'm not a short-term thinker. It's done well for me long-term. Uh, I'm also, I'm flipping a ton of stuff along the way, but generally a lot of those plot profits are getting rolled back into quality product to hold long-term, which eventually will all go to my kids. But we, yeah, we do have emotional buys all the time. You know, like I said, the the comics, I try to find out what they're interested in, um, find something extremely rare, educate them on it. And then we tuck it away in, in a vault and, you know, they look at it every now and then, but they understand that, this is, you know, this is, this is to be theirs in, in 20 years. And what a great lesson you're teaching them as well, just about investing in general, because it does apply to other areas of investing. One of the other things that's changed since you uh, got your first card authenticated way back when you were probably around 14 years old is the size, scope, and scale of the audience and the awareness uh, that we can generate to a collectible item, uh, which has never been equal to where it is today and as you and i both know the one certainty i know is it's just going to get easier and easier to have a bigger audience to have a bigger reach 
uh, and especially with blockchain and some other things with greater capacity uh, to have more buyers. Uh, for you, how has your strategy changed because there is a greater capability of finding more buyers, uh, which gives you more stability in the market when you have more buyers and continually get more buyers? Although our market has grown so much in the last couple of years during COVID, like we're still just touching the surface. I mean, I always thought that, you know, what I, what I would consider a real buyer is somebody who's willing to spend, you know, $10,000, $15,000 on sports cards and go to, you know, go to a big show and, and spend real money. And, and that number of people may have only been 10, 20,000 people years ago, which is nothing in the grand scheme of things. And, and after COVID and during the crazy rush, that number might be, you know, there might be a couple hundred thousand people now that are, are willing to spend real money on sports cards. That's not, I mean, when you talk about China and, and their interest in high-end basketball and all the people there, and it's like, what happens when we have 2 million people, 3 million people like that are, that are willing to spend real money on this? It's, it's, it takes the supply of something that, you know, one of my favorite cards I have is a, is a 48 leaf Jackie Robinson PSA nine rookie. And there's, wow. there's, yeah, there's five of those that, you know, it's like, cannot eventually will there be five billionaires that that are interested in that card if so i'm going to do really really well on a piece like that because the the supply is so low and i'm guessing on a piece like that the, the demand is going to be crazy now some of these newer things like you know zion williams rookies and all this new stuff that's still to be determined but for me it's like the vintage stuff is much safer in the quantities, the, the supply is just not there. So the more and more people that come in, it's, it just, it's, to me, it's, it just, it's too obvious what's going to happen, but it still has to play out. Like we, we do need more people to come in. Um, but I see that daily. I mean, it's like sports cards and memorabilia five, 10 years ago, never got media coverage like on ESPN. And, and now you see it almost daily. You see all these massive news outlets talking about our hobby. Um, so that's, and it's only going to increase. Yeah. And the access and the immersion into so many different shows where they're opening up, you know, unopened packs and all types of different valuable interactions that are never available as well. And one of the greatest blessings, Jason, that I've had from running, uh, Lee Steinberg is I got to represent the Clemente family. And I always used to tell Lee, uh, my partner there at the notable sports agency, I don't care what they pay us. I said, I just keep collecting more and more Clemente stuff from the family uh, yeah. that nobody can get. And, you know, there's very few, you know, authenticated bats and balls signed by Roberto Clemente, let alone personal items and other things. And a lot of times, as you know, when we group items together, a Clemente collection uh, can be worth more than one Clemente uh, rookie card as well. And so there's so many different variables and ways that we can make money when we're collectors. The audience is growing. There's also the emotional aspect. So we know that if we love something, if we're a huge Clemente fan or Jackie Robinson fan, that there must be, as we become, like you said, we get more and more millionaires and probably by the time you're done trillionaires, you know, what is, what is it worth to get something that nobody else has? Uh, that's why I always say collect beach property as well. There's nothing between me and the ocean. And uh, that's the same philosophy I have in collecting. Uh, incredible collector and poker player, by the way, a good friend of the show at Money Talks. It's Jason Koontz. He's the founder 
and CEO of OTIA. That's One Team International Agency. Uh, make sure that you're following him and his lead as far as collecting and collectibles go. There's very few out there that know more and have been more successful than Jason Coons. Thanks so much for joining me. This is Dave Meltzer on Money Talks.